0: Good morning, church family. Um, I know that all of us uh, have been heartbroken this week. Uh, If you have heard or uh, seen uh, the story of what happened to a man named George Floyd in Minneapolis, and then also just to see the unrest that is taking place in cities all across our country where there's been more uh, violence, more loss of life, and it's just been heartbreaking to see Uh, what's been happening. I'm going to share a little bit more um, later in this message about uh, all of this that's taking place because I believe our passage today in the book of Acts uh, speaks a word of hope for us in the midst of this situation. But Let's just begin in prayer. Let's pray for our nation. Let's pray for our time in God's word together today. Would you pray with me? Father, we just come before you, Lord, with heavy hearts, with broken hearts, at what we are witnessing and seeing in our nation, Father, we witness a nation that is running from you. Father, we see in our world so much injustice, and we know, God, that it breaks your heart because you are a God of justice. Father, we see so much turmoil. And so, Father, we call out to you who is the Prince of Peace. Father, we pray that you would fill the hearts of your children with your love, Father, that we might be instruments of peace and messengers of hope to all of those around us. Father, as we open your word now, we pray that you would speak to us. Father, we all need to hear from you this day. Lord, open our ears and open our hearts to what you want to say to each of us today through your Spirit. And we ask it in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Church family, if you have your Bibles today, and I hope you do, uh, would you turn with me to Acts chapter 3. As you just saw on that video that we watched just a moment ago, we are starting a new teaching series today as we move into this next section of the book of Acts. This teaching series is called Jesus' Approval Rating. You know, pretty much everyone and everything in our society today uh, is rated in some way. Uh, Whether it's a politician's approval rating, we're going to see a lot of that uh, this year in an election year. Whether it's uh, a restaurant getting reviews on Yelp or a business getting ratings on the internet, uh, everyone and everything gets rated. There are some who approve and some who disapprove. And what we're going to see in these next few chapters of the book of Acts is that the name of Jesus itself uh, was a lightning rod. Uh, That as uh, this message of Jesus went out, there were some, even as we'll see today, who who are drawn, who believe in him as their Savior and Lord, and they follow him. But then there are others that uh, grew angrier and angrier the more the name of Jesus was talked about. They felt that their place and their position was being threatened. And we're going to see that in the next few weeks as well. And the reality is the same thing is still true today. The name of Jesus still today is a lightning rod. There are some who wish that his name was not spoken about. But then to others, to me, and I hope, friend, today to you, the name of Jesus is the sweetest name that I know. Well, Last week we studied at the end of Acts chapter 2 and we saw this little snapshot, this little picture of the early church, the church in Jerusalem and, and how they lived and the things that they did. We saw last week that they were a studying church, that they were a fellowshipping church. We saw that they were a worshipping church, they were a very giving church, and they were a multiplying church as well. And we know the Lord wants to see all of those qualities in our church today also. One of the things we didn't talk about as much last week is that the early church was also a miracle-working church. In fact, I want you to look at this verse at the end of chapter 2 in verse 43. We read this, it says, Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. So as the Lord was first establishing his church, he worked in an unusual way through the apostles. He performed miracles through them that opened the door for the message of Jesus Christ to go out. Now we're going to see the first example of that here at the beginning of Acts chapter 3, where a miracle opens the door for a message. Let's read the first 10 verses of Acts chapter 3 together. It says, Now Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man, lame from his mother's womb, was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms from those who enter the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms, fixing his eyes on him with John. Peter said, Look at us. So he gave them his attention, expecting to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And then they knew that it was he who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. We're going to look at all of Acts chapter 3 today, but this chapter really divides very neatly and very cleanly into two divisions. First, there's the miracle that we just read about in verses 1 through 10. And then starting in verse 11 to the end of the chapter, there's the message that Peter gives to explain the miracle that took place. And so as we walk through this story together today, let's start uh, with the section that we just read. Because in this story, there is a miracle that we need to see. The story opens in verse 1 with Peter and John, who were two of Jesus' 12 disciples, going up to the temple to pray. Now, uh, the Jewish people had three set times of prayer where they would go to the temple to pray, the third of which, the last of which, was at what they called the ninth hour, or what we call three o'clock in the afternoon. Uh, That time of three in the afternoon may have had special significance for Peter and John as that was the time uh, that the Lord Jesus died when he hung on the cross for you and for me. So as they're entering the temple at 3 o'clock, it says in verse 2 that there was a man sitting there. The other major character in this story was a man who was crippled from his birth. And we find out in chapter 4 that this man was already more than 40 years of age. So he had been this way for decades now. And every day he had friends who would carry him and place him beside this gate in the temple complex. It reminds me of the story of the paralytic and his four friends who carried that paralyzed man to the Lord Jesus. Every day this man would sit here by this gate. Again, it's called the beautiful gate. Uh, Most scholars believe that this gate was also known as the Nicanor Gate. Uh, It was known as the beautiful gate because it was truly beautiful. In fact, uh, the historian Josephus uh, describes it as a huge gate. It was 75 feet tall. It was 60 feet wide. It was covered in beautiful Corinthian bronze. So it was a beautiful gate and a beautiful thing was about to happen at that gate in this man's life. And I'm sure this day started out just about like any other day for this man. He was carried there. He was uh, placed by that gate. Uh, He began to ask all of those who were coming into the temple complex to worship. Uh, He began asking them, uh, can you spare any change? He was asking for alms for the poor. Whatever it was that he said, he was saying it to each person as they came by. And as Peter and John came with a throng of the crowd and passed by him, he said the same to them asking them for help. Uh, The crippled man did not know that his life was about to change. Uh, You don't get the impression that he recognized Peter and John or that he knew them at all. He was just asking them the same way he asked everyone else. And yet in verse 4 it says, Peter stopped and said to the man, look at us. Now we don't know what made Peter stop on this particular day. Because this man sat at this gate of the temple every single day, the chances are that Peter had passed by this man many times on previous days as he had made his way into the temple. But on this particular day, something made him stop. I would say that someone made him stop. That the Spirit of God that had just been given to the church, the Spirit of God that filled Peter, caused him and prompted him to stop. You know, every believer who is watching this right now has probably experienced something like that in your life. where you just know that the Holy Spirit is prompting you to do something. The Holy Spirit is prompting you to say something. Maybe to text someone or call someone. Maybe just to stop what you're doing and and to pray for someone right then and right there. Jesus said that those who are his disciples recognize his voice. And so when the Spirit of God prompts us in that kind of way, we need to listen to those promptings. And when we do, we might just get to see something we've never seen God do in our lives before. That's what happened to Peter and John. Verse 5, it says that the man looked up at them when Peter said that. He was expecting to receive something. It means he was probably disappointed when the first thing Peter said was, silver and gold, have I not? Uh, you know, I can't read that verse uh, without thinking of a story I heard one time from a pastor named J.D. Greer. Pastor is a large church in North Carolina. And Pastor Greer talked about when his church was first starting to really grow, uh, that it was mainly growing by college students. In fact, one week, hundreds of college students showed up at his church that had not been there the week before. And so on that Sunday, their attendance was way higher than it had ever been. Uh, but he joked that their offering that day actually went down by $17. And you and I know that college students they usually don't have a whole lot of extra to give. In fact, one time he said one of those college students visiting his church uh, put, put a sausage and egg biscuit, uh, what was left of one, in the offering plate and actually attached a note to it with this verse. The note said, silver and gold have I not, but what I have I give to you. Well, on this occasion, thankfully, uh, Peter was not going to give this crippled man something worse than silver and gold. But by the power of the name of Jesus Christ, he was going to give him something far better and that's why in verse six uh, he says this to the man at the end of that verse in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth rise up and walk and Peter took him by the hand and lifted him up I'm sure this man had no idea what was uh, happening to him the text says immediately his legs his feet his ankle bones began to receive strength and he began to walk Uh, You know, when you read something like that, sometimes we can just read over that without thinking of what it would have been like to have been there and to witness this man being healed immediately. I mentioned a few weeks ago the show The Chosen that chronicles the life uh, of Jesus, and there's one of the episodes in that show that uh, features the story where Jesus healed a man of leprosy. And it really uh, just made it come alive to me as I watched this man's skin uh, heal from that terrible disease of leprosy. And in just an instant, his skin was made perfect and whole. Well, this would have been just like that. Legs that were shriveled, legs that were contorted. In just an instant, they became strong. They became straight. In fact, if this man took a tentative step or two to try to test out his legs, we're not told that. Really what Luke emphasizes, this man uh, immediately began to jump up and down, jumping on legs that he had not even walked on in all his life. Can you imagine the joy that filled this man's heart? Look at verse 8. It describes uh, this scene for us. So he, leaping up, stood and walked and entered the temple with them, walking, leaping, and praising God. I don't know if any of you who, have, uh, who are watching right now have been healed physically in this kind of a dramatic way. But every child of God who is watching this, you have experienced that kind of dramatic healing, spiritual healing in your life. In fact, what the Bible teaches us is that before we met Christ, we were spiritually very much like this man. We were spiritually crippled. Uh, We were left on the side of the road. There was nothing that we could do on our own to find healing. Because we were spiritually crippled, we had never even taken the first spiritual step in our life of following the Lord. But one day, the Lord sent somebody, I don't know who it was in your life, who came to you and who first spoke the name of Jesus to you, who first told you about the good things that Jesus had done to pay for your sin and mine and to rise again on the third day. But God spoke and used their words to lift us up by the hand and stand us up on our feet where spiritually for the first time in our lives we could run and we could dance and we could shout out and praise God because of what he had done in our life. Friend, do you remember The day that happened in your life do you remember that moment when for the very first time you knew that your sins were forgiven when you knew that you were spiritually whole and that you were his that you belonged entirely to him maybe you're listening to this right now and you can't remember a time like that in your life you don't know that that's happened in your life yet but you want that to happen you want to belong to god you want to know that your sins are forgiven and friend that can happen in your life today this can be the day when you jump up on your spiritual feet for the first time and you begin to follow jesus before we're through i want to share more with you about how that can happen in your life well, as you can imagine, what happened to this man and then his reaction as he's dancing and, and, and running and shouting out, it, it caused quite a stir. There was quite a commotion and a crowd uh, began to form. Uh, th- this isn't something you normally see in the church, right? As these people came in for worship and saw this scene. And, and so in verse 10, it says the people in the crowd knew this man. They recognized him. They knew it was the same man they had seen every day sitting at that beautiful gate. And And yet here he was, man who was crippled from the time he was born, walking and leaping and praising God. They were amazed and even a little bit terrified at what they were witnessing. What they saw begged for an explanation. And Peter is going to take the opportunity to give that explanation and to point them to Jesus. Let's pick up the story in verse 11 and read to the end of the chapter together. It says, Now as the lame man who was healed held on to Peter and John, all the people ran together to them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, greatly amazed. So when Peter saw it, he responded to the people, Men of Israel, why do you marvel at this? Or why look so intently at us, as though by our power or godliness we have made this man walk? the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant, Jesus, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But you denied the Holy One and the just and asked for a murderer to be granted to you and killed the Prince of Life, whom God raised from the dead, of which we are witnesses, and his name Through faith in his name has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. Verse 17. Yet now, brethren, I know that you did it in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But those things which God foretold by the mouth of all his prophets, that the Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And then he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be utterly destroyed from among the people. Yes, and all the prophets from Samuel and those who follow as many as have spoken have also foretold these days. You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, sent him to bless you. In turning away every one of you from your iniquities. We've said that uh, in this story there is a miracle that we need to see, and we've already seen that. But secondly, in this story, there is a message that we need to hear. Uh, this sermon that we just uh, read was actually Peter's second sermon in the book of Acts. His first sermon is back in Acts chapter 2. It's the one he preached on that day we call Pentecost, when the Spirit of God was given to the church. And on that day, 3,000 people heard Peter's message uh, and were saved and were baptized. Uh, on this day, again, another huge crowd has formed. The text tells us they came together in Solomon's Colonnade. That was a large uh, porch that really ran down the entire eastern side of the temple complex. You can just picture that porch area, that portico just uh, teeming with people, people filling, spilling out into the courtyard to listen to what Peter had to say. Uh, The man who was crippled from birth that had been healed was standing there hanging on to Peter and John. He was kind of like a visual evidence right there in front of the crowd of what God had just done. And we'll come back to this later, but in verse 12, Peter wants them to know, listen, it wasn't me, it wasn't John that healed this man. It was Jesus that healed him. But Peter has a lot more than that that he wants to share with the crowd on this occasion. He actually has a lot more to say than we're going to be able to to dig into in the time that we have left. But I do want us to see just some of the major threads uh, that really run through Peter's message this day, First of all, Peter talked about who Jesus is. Throughout uh, this message, Peter uses several different titles uh, to speak about the Lord, to, to share with them that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one uh, that Israel had been waiting for. In verse 13, he refers to Jesus as God's servant. That's a reference to Isaiah 52 and 53, the suffering servant of the Lord who came and suffered for us on the cross. And yet, as Peter says, now God has glorified and exalted his servant to his very right hand. In verse 14, Peter refers to Jesus as the Holy One and the Righteous One. Those are two more messianic titles that he is applying to Jesus. And then in verse 15, and I love this so much, he calls Jesus the Prince of Life. The prince of life. That word prince actually uh, can be translated the originator or the author of life. And Jesus is the author of life. In fact, in John 1, it says that all things were created through him. He's the author of our physical life. But Jesus is also the author of our spiritual life. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Here, Peter reminds us that God raised Jesus back to life even after he died on the cross. And because Jesus is alive, he was able to bring life to this man's legs that had never had it before. Because Jesus is alive, he's able to bring spiritual life to our souls as well. Down in verse 22, Peter quotes from the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy about this prophecy that Moses gave that one day there would be a prophet-like him a second Moses who would come, and Peter identifies that second Moses as Jesus who had already came. And so with all of these titles, Peter is is basically driving the same message home to his fellow Jewish countrymen. He wants them to know that the Messiah that they were waiting for had already come. And and so, as one person put it, for for folks to say, I'm still waiting for the Messiah, is like saying, I'm still waiting for Mickey Mantle to play for the Yankees, right? Mickey Mantle already came, that already happened, and so did Jesus. The Messiah has come. That's one thread that runs throughout Peter's sermon. He wants them to know and us to know who Jesus is. But another thread that we see here is that over and over, Peter tells this Jewish crowd, about what they did to Jesus, and I would say what we did to Jesus as well. And what he's really doing in this message is he is indicting this crowd uh, about the fact that they put their own Messiah to death. Now, ultimately, we know that, that it wasn't just the, the Jewish leaders or the Jewish crowd that was there that put Jesus to death. Ultimately, we know it wasn't just the Romans who, who executed Jesus. Ultimately, we know that Jesus voluntarily laid his life down on the cross to pay for our sins. And so really all of us put Jesus on the cross because it was our sins that put him there. But Peter is about to call this crowd to repent and to turn to Jesus. And he wants them to know that one of the things they needed to repent of was putting their Messiah to death. And and the language that he uses here is very direct and and very to the point. He says in verse 13 about how they handed Jesus over, how they denied him in the presence of Pilate. He even brings out how Pilate, this Roman governor, wanted to let Jesus go, but the Jewish crowd and the Jewish leaders would not let him. In fact, they even chose Barabbas, a murderer, instead of the Lord, to set Barabbas free verse 15 is perhaps the most pointed comment of all when Peter says to this crowd, you killed the prince of life. And I'm sure that that statement from Peter's lips stung as they listened to that. But again, the truth is, it wasn't just they that killed Jesus. It was all of us. If they denied Jesus, then we certainly denied him too in the way that we have lived. But, you know, Peter... Uh, about as well as anybody else could give testimony that there is still hope even for the one who has denied the Lord. Another thing Peter wants them to know, of course, is what Jesus had just done for this lame man. Uh, in verse 12, again, he says, don't, don't, don't stare at us. Don't look at us like we did this, like I'm some kind of a wizard who did this. And, and don't look at me like this happened because I'm so godly or because I'm so holy. He says, that's not the case. In fact, it wasn't we that did this at all. It was Jesus. And he makes that even more clear when you look at verse 16. Look at that with me. He says, And his name, Jesus' name, through faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. Yes, the faith which comes through him has given him this perfect soundness in the presence of you all. I love that phrase, perfect soundness. You know, Jesus had not just made this man's legs a little bit better. Uh, He had taken this man's legs uh, that were totally useless up until this point, and he gave them perfect health, perfect strength, perfect soundness. He made them whole. But notice that three times in this one verse, Peter says it's not uh, we that have done this, uh, it is the Lord. He says it's through faith in his name that this has happened. Uh, Even before that, he says, and his name has done this. And then at the end, he says, yes, the faith which comes through him has given this man this perfect soundness. While some disagree with this, uh, I don't see any indication that this crippled man had any faith in Jesus before his healing took place. And so when Peter says uh, here that uh, this happened through faith in the name of Jesus, I believe he's referring to his own faith and to John's faith, the faith that they had in Jesus. And notice he's not even taking credit for that. He says that even that faith uh, comes through him. Uh, The faith that he had was given to him by the Lord. God gave him the faith to believe that on this occasion he was going to work a miracle in this crippled man's life. And so all the glory for this miracle from start to finish and God alone. That's the point that Peter is making here. But he didn't just want them to know what Jesus did for this crippled man. He also wanted them to know what Jesus can do for them, what Jesus can do in our lives as well. You know, despite what they had done to Jesus by putting him to death on the cross, Peter wants them to know there is still hope for you if you will even now turn to Jesus in faith and believe in him. And that's why in the very middle of Peter's message in verse 19, there is a call to repent and to turn to Christ. Look at that verse with me. He says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. You know, a lot of people today, even unfortunately a lot of preachers today, will speak a lot about believing in the name of Jesus, but will speak very little, if at all, of the need to repent from our sins. And yet believing in Jesus and repenting of our sins are really two sides of the same coin. In fact, the reality is, according to God's word, we don't have true saving faith in Jesus if we also don't have a broken heart of repentance over the sin that we have committed against him. That word repent means to have a change of heart and a change of, of mind. He adds here that word converted, a word that literally means to turn around and to change our direction. You know, if you're driving in your car and you suddenly realize that you're going the wrong way, and I know that probably never happens to any of you listening, but it has happened to me a time or two. When you're driving, you realize, "Uh uh-oh, I'm going the wrong way. You know, the first thing you have to do to go the right way is to turn around. It's the same way in our spiritual lives. Maybe you're listening right now, friend, and you've realized for the first time, I'm going the wrong way. I've been going the wrong way for quite a while now. I'm just getting further and further away from the Lord. I'm not living my life the way that he has called me to. I know that I'm a sinner. I know that it was my sin that put Jesus on the cross. And maybe he's working in your heart and, and, and you realize, I need to turn around. I need to come back to the Lord. And friend, when you do that, when you come to him, broken over your sin, believing in Jesus, God's grace meets you. And begins to change you. And in fact, God begins to do some incredible things in your life and mine. Some incredible blessings that begin to flow to us because of Christ. First off, Peter says when we turn to Jesus, he removes our sin. He removes our sin. You can see that again in verse 19, the beginning of that verse, uh, where we see these words, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted Out, I don't know about you, but when I think about uh, all of the sins that I've committed in my life, uh, all of the things that I've ever done or said or thought, uh, if all of those things were written down on a board somewhere, that that would uh, just be an overwhelming thought to see that list of all of the sins that I've committed against the Lord. Uh, You know, in in, in this, this day, in this time, Uh, parchment was very expensive and so they wanted to be able to use it multiple times and so in some cases they would use a a kind of acid-free ink where they would write on that parchment but if they took a wet sponge uh, to that parchment they were actually able to literally wipe away the ink and be able to use that clean sheet of parchment again. Maybe you've seen a dry erase board that has writing all over the board, and then we take that eraser and wipe it, and it's a clean board again. Here we find this beautifully good news that because of what Jesus Christ did for us on the cross, that that board with all of our sins written on it can be blotted out. It can be wiped away. And in fact, if you know Jesus Christ, it already has been. That is good news. Another blessing, Peter says, comes from the Lord when we turn to Christ is that he refreshes our hearts. He refreshes our hearts. Look again at verse 19 and see that with me. It says, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Listen, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Why I wonder if there's anybody listening right now that needs some refreshment in your spirit and in your soul. I wonder if anybody's listening right now that would say, you know what, I'm I'm tired. And I'm tired of of trying to to, to live in a way that's good enough to, to please God, that's good enough to kind of earn my place in heaven. I'm just weary of that struggle. And friend, what I want you to hear is that God tells us in his word, we don't come to him that way at all. We don't come to him through our own self effort by trying to be good enough, we're only able to come to him because of the gift of God that we receive by faith in Christ. In fact, listen to this invitation Jesus gives us in Matthew chapter 11. He says these words, come to me. All who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Listen, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Rest for your souls. Doesn't that sound good? And that's what Jesus wants to give us when we come to him, refreshment. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that when we come to know Christ that our life is easy, that we never have any problems. No, the Bible says when we come to Christ, we will be persecuted. We will have tribulations. Some battles are still going to continue. And yet in the middle of that battle, there is rest from the presence of the Lord in our life. And that refreshment that God wants to give to us through Christ Ultimately, friend, that that doesn't even just end with you and me individually. Ultimately, the scope of that refreshment that God wants to bring is the whole world. That's what we see in verses 20 and 21. Look at that with me. He says that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began and so when we come to christ not only does he uh, remove our sin not only does he refresh our hearts but ultimately he wants to restore our world and he promises one day to do just that that's why in verse 20 it speaks about god sending jesus now, we know, of course, God already has sent Jesus one time, but but here he's speaking about God sending Jesus for the second time, about the return of Christ. And when he comes, when our king comes and reigns on the earth, first in the millennial kingdom and then in the new heaven and the new earth, it clearly says there that he will restore all things. So right now we're waiting for that. So Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father and The good news of Jesus is still spreading throughout every tribe and every tongue. But one day when God the Father says it is the time, Jesus will return and he will restore all things. It's just like the Lord said in Revelation chapter 21. I will make all things new, not just in in us as individuals, but in the world as a whole. And I don't know about you, but I am longing for that day to come. Again, if you've been uh, watching the news at all this week, how could you not long for Christ to come and to make all things new? When you see the tragic death of a man who is lying on the ground and is repeatedly saying, I can't breathe, and yet his cry is falling on deaf ears. When you turn on the news and you see looting and theft and more violence and injustice being done against store owners and other law enforcement officers and federal guardsmen who, who had nothing to do with the original crime that was perpetrated as if they were somehow all guilty of it when you see the evil of racism that is still so prevalent in so many hearts, when you see a nation that is so divided, a nation that is so angry with one another, how can your heart not be broken? But what is the answer? We know the answer isn't just to throw up our hands in the air and to give up because God has called us, church, to be salt and light even in this dark world. We know the answer isn't to join into the hatred because God has filled us with his love and called us to love all people, even our enemies. We know the answer isn't to try to win every Twitter argument. It isn't to try to respond to every Facebook post that we disagree with. No, that the truth of the matter is that none of us but God see the whole picture with 100% clarity. And so we need the humility to admit that we may not even know the entirety of what the real answer is. And yet I would say this, that every one of us in our church family, whether you're black or white or whatever your ethnicity may be, ultimately we know that the real answer isn't actually a what, but the real answer is a who. The real answer is Jesus. And one day, church, he's going to come. One day. He's going to restore all things. One day, He's going to make all things new. But right now, He's working in one heart at a time. He's redeeming and restoring one by one by one. Right now, friend, He wants to restore you and He wants to restore me because here's the truth we need to see today. The one who will one day restore the whole world is the only one who can restore our hearts this day. Let me say that again. The one who will restore the whole world one day is the only one who can restore our hearts on this day. Let's pray together. Let's ask him to do just that. Father, right now we come before you and I pray, Father, I pray for the believer who is listening to this message from your word, and, and Father, who knows that they're not where they need to be in their walk with you. Father, you're calling to each one in that situation. You're saying, Repent, turn to me, that times of refreshment may come from the presence of the Lord. Father, right now I think of the one who is watching this who does not yet know you in a personal way. They haven't had that experience of knowing that their sins are forgiven. Of knowing that they belong to you through faith in Christ. But they're coming before you. Even this morning, Father, you've been at work in their hearts. And they're coming before you broken. They're coming before you crying out and asking that you would restore all things, starting in their own heart. Father, that's your grace at work, that they even desire that. I pray right now that they would cry out to you, that they might even say something like this from their heart to your heart, that they might say, Father, I know that I've sinned against you. I know that I'm going the wrong way, but I want to turn around. I want to trust in you I believe Jesus died for my sin and rose again. I want Jesus to come into my life and my heart and make me a new person. and Wipe all of my sins away, just like you promised. Father, be at work in every one of our hearts. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. And well, friend, if even just then you prayed that prayer and you asked God to come into your life and to forgive you and to wash your sins away, we would love to hear about that. I wanna ask that you would just send us a a short note just with your name and a way to reach you just to this email address, believe at fbcmail.org. We'd love to hear what God has done in your heart on this day.